It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans. Welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm here with CNHI Sports Indiana executive editor, Colts beat writer, and your host, George Bremer. George, a lot going on at camp this week, including safety TJ Green moving from safety to cornerback. We're going to talk about that in just a bit, but right now I want to talk about Sunday's game with the Lions. What were some of the highlights or maybe more apropos lowlights that you saw during the game? Yeah, unfortunately, there's probably a few more lowlights from a 24-10 to 10 loss in the opener. Uh, I thought Mike Chappell, who's kind of the dean of the media down there that covers the Colts, put it best. He said, when your offense is bad, your whole team looks bad. And the offense, as we kind of talked about last week, was going to be a possibility, really struggled. And when we talk about struggling, 230 total yards. And for the first 53 minutes of the game, they had seven first downs. 90 of those 230 yards came on the final drive. It was a really rough day, a lot of three and outs, a lot of sloppy play, 11 penalties, not much from that game that was easy on the eyes. And it, you know, the good news is it's week one of the preseason. It kind of gets thrown out. You learn from it. You move on. But the offense was, was there's, there's no other way to say it. It was pitiful on Sunday. And it's got to get better. I mean, it's, it's that simple. They've got to move the football at least somewhat consistently. And you feel bad for the wide receivers right now in camp because the quarterbacks are struggling so much. And, and it's not all on the quarterbacks, but they had a big role out there. Scott Tolzien and, and the rookie, Philip Walker in particular, just not finding open guys, putting the ball in the wrong place, putting the ball behind receivers. And it, it's tough for a receiver to go out there and make a big play when, when the offense is not in sync the way it is right now. Uh, so it, it, it has been difficult, but I think that's going to be job one on Saturday is to get the offense jump started to make it look a little bit more like an NFL unit. I thought the first team defense uh, had two pretty good series. Yeah, they did. And, you know, it's tough to evaluate there, too, because they really only had one series against the Lions first team offense. Matt Stafford, I guess, was a little upset on the sideline, too. You heard from some of the photographers on that game uh, that. He only gets so many chances to, to throw the ball, and one of them gets intercepted. So that was a nice play by Vontae Davis. We didn't learn a lot from that because Vontae Davis, we knew, was a good football player. He's had a good camp. He's had a really strong offseason. I think he's a guy who's really stepping up as a leader for this team. Uh, but he made a nice deflection on the ball. And then a new guy, John Simon, came through and fought his own teammate, Anthony Walker Jr., but got the interception. And that was the first drive. The second drive started with a 19-yard gain on a run, but after that, shut down the next three plays, and it's a punt. So that's really all we saw from the first-team defense, and it, it's tough to take a whole lot of, of lessons from that. But I think there was nothing negative on their side, so that's a good sign. Uh, some of the other guys that came in later, there were some ups and downs, but this is a young team with a lot of new faces, and quite frankly, you're going to see that throughout the regular season. This is going to be a team with highs and lows. That defense, so many new faces, so many really young, inexperienced players, it's going to ride the roller coaster from time to time. Did we learn anything about our special teams on Sunday? That's a unit that's had a lot of turnover in the offseason. And they were up and down as well. I think it's interesting because you, you're not used to that kind of turnover here in Indianapolis. And there were some guys that had been there for a long time together. Matt Overton, obviously the long snapper now down in Jacksonville. Uh, Pat McAfee, probably the most popular punter in the league until he retired around the Super Bowl uh, this year. 
but new guys, Jeff Locke, uh, didn't have the greatest first pump punt opportunity for him out there, but he bounced back with a really nice punt, put a nice backspin on it, pinned Detroit deep in their own territory. Uh, Rigoberto Sanchez had a couple of punts that I don't think he necessarily wanted. He'd like to take back, but he had a couple of good, good moments as well. Uh, Adam Vinatieri still had Adam Vinatieri. I, I think much like Vontae Davis, he comes out and he hits a 42-yard field goal that should have been a 37-yard field goal, but they couldn't get lined up properly and got a five-yard penalty. But Vinatieri's going to be Adam Vinatieri. I think he's probably the most automatic thing on that team. But it's good to see that the, the rest of that operation worked well. The new snapper, Thomas Hennessy, got the ball back there. Jeff Locke, the new holder, got the ball down, and, and they converted on a 42-yard field goal. Probably the biggest mistake on special teams came from Chester Rogers. He fielded one a punt inside the five yard line. You should never ever do that. Put the offense that was already struggling on its own in a really bad spot. Uh, but maybe the biggest bright spot was also in the return game, and that's a youngster who we will hear from a little more later, a rookie out of Akron named JoJo Natson, who I think really kind of put a buzz through the crowd at times. He uh, he averaged about 22.7 yards on his kickoffs. He had a couple called back, you know, big big gain, and one in particular called back from a penalty. Uh, but he at least gave you the feeling that every time he touched the ball, something special might happen. Are there any other players that you think stood out that made a case for themselves to get a deeper look from the coaching staff? Yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit at the end of the show, too. Um, I, I think Stephen Morris obviously made a case for himself. It'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out for him. He led the only scoring drive, got the only touchdown on a run by Troy Main Pope on the last play of the game. Uh, Pope's a guy, seven carries for 31 yards. He looked pretty good, uh, the leading rusher. We mentioned JoJo earlier. Uh, but I think one of the – it's not a statistical thing, but I think one of the big things that came out of this game in general is the number of snaps that the the young defensive backs received. Quincy Wilson, the second-round pick, played 50 snaps. That was the most of anybody on defense. Nate Hairston, a fifth-round pick, started the game. He was out there quite a bit as well. I think Anthony Walker, who's not a defensive back but is a rookie inside linebacker, he was also one of the top four defensive players uh, as far as percentage of time on the field. Tevin Mitchell, another young defensive back who struggled quite a bit but has had a good camp. He was also among those top four guys. It's good to see those guys getting out there, getting some experience. I think uh, in talking with Coach Venturi during the practice week, they played well, especially Quincy Wilson. The biggest thing with Quincy is that we all saw he got beat for a touchdown in the corner of the end zone. Kenny Galladay had a huge day. The Lions rookie wide receiver, two scores. He beat Tevin Mitchell for the other one. But even on that play, Wilson was in the right position. He was where he was supposed to be. He's got to do some things with his hands. He's got to have a little bit better technique to keep receivers from getting over the top on him so that they can get up and get that jump ball and score the way Galladay did. But I think with Wilson in particular, there's been some concern about his speed. Coming in, that was a knock on him. He wasn't burnt. He wasn't getting beat physically. He wasn't losing the battle, you know, wasn't losing deep in those games. He's hanging with guys. It's now just a matter of technique, and that means snaps. That means experience. And so the more those guys can play, all three of those youngsters, Nate Harrison did a good job as well. 
the more they can play, the better it's going to be for everybody. And that goes for safety Malik Hooker as well, who had four tackles, was tied for third on the team there. That was his bugaboo coming in. He's not a good tackler. That's all we heard after the draft. He came in. He had one tackle that saved the touchdown. He had another big tackle on a run play where he was in the box. So a good first outing for him. Unfortunately, he dinged up his shoulder, didn't practice early in the week, but Coach Pagano said that's more of a precaution than, than anything else. I don't think that's a lingering problem, but I think you saw a lot from that defensive backfield, and I think you're going to continue to see that as preseason continues. Okay, I think we can wrap up game one, toss it in the trash, and forget about it from this point on. Uh, let's move on to probably the most shocking news of the week. TJ Green has been moved from safety to cornerback, a position he has never played in the NFL. Yeah, it's his third position move now in three years. His last year at Clemson, he moved from wide receiver to safety. Then he gets drafted in the NFL and is a safety last season as a rookie. And now he's getting a look at cornerback. Uh, it's a very interesting move. They have their reasons. Uh, and in fact, let's start this by hearing from defensive coordinator Ted Monachino and how he explained what the team's looking for here. A really sound, solid performance on Sunday against Detroit. I think that you see he's got a lot of talent. We've all known that, and we're just at this point trying to scratch around and find out who our best four guys are. And, and if TJ's one of those four, we got to find a place for him to play because that safety group is strong. Again, that was defensive coordinator Ted Monachino on how TJ Green has been moved from safety to cornerback. George, what have you seen from TJ Green so far in practice at that position? It was rough, as you might expect, because it was literally his first snaps of his life at that spot. Uh, he got beat in one particular out route by T.Y. Hilton pretty badly, but T.Y. Hilton's a three-time Pro Bowler, and he's going to be experienced cornerbacks on that route. Today, on Wednesday, you already saw a little bit of a jump. He was able to defend a pass against Hilton, a deep ball they were trying to make a play on. He got up, he knocked the ball down. He's got athleticism, he's got size, and I think that's the biggest thing is the size. I think he's 6'3", 211, and when you look around the league, big corners are all the rage. You can match these guys up against the tight ends, guys like Rob Gronkowski who are just terrorizing the league. And really, it's something that Seattle has done probably better than anybody else in the NFL, and that's how the Legion of Boom was built, big physical players. And you look at that secondary, and Richard Sherman was a wide receiver at Stanford. So this is not unheard of, this kind of a move. That's not to say that T.J. Green is going to be the next Richard Sherman. But Ed Dodds, who was in that Seattle front office, who helped build that secondary, he came over this year to the Colts front office. Chris Ballard brought him in. They know each other from, from way back. And you can kind of feel Ed Dodd's hand in this as well as Tybus Powell, who was our guest last week, another big guy who used to play safety, who they moved to corner. It's pretty clear what they're trying to do. Quincy Wilson's not a little guy. He's a big physical guy too. They're trying to model themselves after what Seattle's done. And you, it's worth a shot at this point to see what TJ Green can do. I think Monachino said it uh, pretty black and white there, there in the quote. They want to get the best four players out there in the secondary that they can, the two safeties and the two corners. And the safety position right now is so deep, they're not sure where TJ Green necessarily fits there. Maybe he fits in a corner. We'll see. There's definitely some openings there. There's been a lot of injuries, and I think that's one thing that they've struggled with. It's part of the reason so many young guys played on Sunday. Rashawn Melvin hasn't practiced in almost two weeks now. Uh, Christopher Milton just recently got back into the mix after he missed some time. Daryl Morris was kind of the leader to be that nickel guy. He's been out this week. He missed Sunday's game. So 
why not get TJ Green in there, get him some reps and see what he can do. And again, they're following a formula that has worked very well. Now, can it translate here? Can these guys fit into that system? That's what they want to see. Do you think that part of this is Coach Chuck Pagano, I don't want to say covering his rear end, but covering his rear end and having you know gone to bat for TJ Green in the draft and now him being beat out at the safety position essentially? I think there's some of that. We know that Coach Pagano is a big fan of TJ Green. You know, He himself said he pounded the table in the draft room for him. Uh, when they got him a year ago in the second round. And a lot of people kind of looked at that a little askance, trying to figure out what they were doing because Green hadn't played very long at Clemson, hadn't been very productive at Clemson, but he was a starter for a team that reached the national championship game. And again, he's 6'3", and he's fast, and he's athletic, and you can see those traits. And I think they keep trying to figure out, here's a guy who it should work for. Why is it not coming together? Maybe corner is the spot where that happens, and, and that's what they're hoping for right now. Can you put all of those traits together somehow, make them work in his favor? And in all honesty, and again, going back to what Monacino said, he played well on Sunday against the Lions, and that's part of what prompted this move. In fact, it may be the biggest part of what prompted this move. They looked at him. They said, hey, this kid is doing a good job in coverage. He's making some good plays. What's the harm? I think that's where it really comes down to at this point. What's the downside? It'll be interesting to see how TJ Green develops at that spot. Moving on, we're going to go ahead with our player interviews and inside the locker room. I think you all enjoy this next interview with JoJo Natson. One of the highlights, I think, of Sunday's game against the Lions. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. Our guest this week, as previously mentioned, is wide receiver slash kick returner JoJo Natson. Uh, going to bring a little maxion for you college football fans to the show today. Uh, he went to Akron, so I went to Ball State, so I felt a little kindred spirit with him right away. I think that that helps. It's always nice to make a connection with the guy. Uh, but JoJo is the smallest player on the roster. Uh, he also definitely brought some electricity to that return game. Now, he's got a long way to go, and we don't want to turn him into uh, a pro bowler or anything like that right off the top of the bat here after one performance. But I think he did enough on Sunday to warn another look in the return game. He definitely had the, the crowd on their edge of the seats a couple of times. I know on the first kick return in particular, had Nate Harrison been able to hold his block for maybe just a second longer, JoJo Natson would have been gone. There would have been a touchdown on the board, and then you really would have seen that crowd erupt. Uh, but he also did some things in the passing game, and I think that's one of the things that you'll hear him mention here. He considers himself a wide receiver first. Uh, I think he had five catches for 51 yards, was the most catches on the team, just two yards behind Fred Brown, who led the team with 53 yards. And uh, this is a guy who considers himself an all-around football player. He's had to overcome a lot to get to where he is. He has a good story, and I hope you enjoy this interview. How important was game day for you from a return standpoint? You really can't do live returns out here, can you? Uh, nah, not too much in practice. Uh, so I was uh, anxious to, you know, get out there for the first preseason game and just, you know, get a feel for, you know, the speed of the game and just, you know, uh, the different feel of how the, the punt team come because it's way different from college. You know, everybody's fast. But it was good, you know, getting that experience the first game and, you know, now moving on. Next game, I know how the uh, I know how the speed of the game is, and I got a little experience, so it should be better. Was the return game was that something you did a lot of at Akron? Uh, yes, I did that all throughout my college career. Uh, some I take you know take very you know with pride you know as far as receiver, but you know I 
I think I bring a lot to the game uh, as a returner, so I try to take a lot of pride in that. How do you approach a return? What What are you looking for? I guess at what point in a return do you know, hey, this one's got a chance? Uh, I mean, it always starts up front with my uh, – with my punt return unit, they do a good job blocking for me. And uh, my biggest thing, you know, I got my asset is speed. I have speed, so I try and, you know, be the guy to the edge. And then if I f- see a seam, I try and hit it. And, you know, it's just all different different elements of uh, how to, you know, get a feel for it. But most, like, most of the time, I try and use my speed. You mentioned that you take pride as a receiver, too. And I think when you look at the stat sheet, you were the number one guy on Sunday. What's that mean to you? Yeah, it means a lot, man. It means a lot. And uh, I know it's a lot of more work to do. You know, like I said, it's the first game, uh, trying to get my feet wet, you know, just getting a feel for the speed of the game. But, you know, but now we're back practicing, so I'm just trying to get better, uh, find a way to get better uh, each day of practice, and then, you know, just let the game play out for itself. How much confidence, though, does that game give you to go out there and make some plays and, and get a good feeling about yourself? Uh, it gave me a lot of confidence, honestly. Uh, you know, after this, after the, you know, I touched the ball the first time and I almost broke it. It gave me a very lot of confidence, and I just had fun with it from from there on out. And you know, as much more of you have fun, and the game just you know just play out on your on your side. I know you're competing, and obviously it's a business now and it's a job, but is there a part of you on Sunday that walked out and had that moment for just a second, looked around and said, I'm in the NFL right now? Oh, yeah, of course. You know, I take every moment I walk into this building every day, you know, I cherish it because, you know, a lot of people, you know, want to be in my footsteps. And unfortunately, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm just blessed to, you know, be able to do what I can do and blessed to be a part of the NFL. T.Y. was kind of joking with you a little bit coming off the field. How much do guys like him and, and Dante Moncrief who have been around, how much are they teaching you? Oh, they teach me a lot, man. Every day in the film room, uh, even on, on the field, if it's something small, they try, uh, try and correct me. And, you know, I look at them. I look up to them, especially T.Y., you know. He's not the biggest guy either. So I try, you know, just get a feel for some of the things he doing, just, you know, kind of just flourish and watch his game. As a young guy who's looking for that opportunity, what does it mean to you when you hear the general manager just speak, uh, just talk all the time, compete, compete, compete? How's that mindset and how's that environment work for you? Oh, it, it, I mean, to hear him say that it just means a lot because all my life I always had to grind a little harder than the next man just because of my size. And, you know, so when I hear compete, it's like my mind's already in tune to it. So. You know, like I say, I had to grind since I was six years old. I've always been the smallest guy on the team, but, you know, I always found a way to, you know, overcome the small assets of me, my size. And, you know, so competing every day is just something I just like to do. You mentioned your size. Have you had to adjust your game? I mean, do you have to kind of make sure you don't get hit square? Do you do, you do anything to, to try to protect yourself out there? Nah, man, it, I, I, don't, I don't really think about that. Honestly, I, it starts with heart, and I feel like, you know, they can measure my height and my, you know, my weight, but they can't measure my heart. And, you know, that's something I feel like that got me through, that got me to this level. And, you know, like I say, your heart can take you a long way. And I just I just go out there and play, man. It's something I've been doing since I was a kid. So I just go out there and have fun with it. What was it like when you hear the roar of the crowd a little bit? That first return, they they realized that you were getting a good game there. You could, can you hear the crowd getting behind you? Oh, yeah, most definitely I heard the crowd. It was it gave me chills, man. At first, it didn't, it didn't seem real, but, you know, like I said, once I got that first kick return, got the ball in my hand, and actually almost broke that broke that uh, tackle and, you know, scored. So that just, that, like I said, it boosted my confidence. And, you know, going to going into preseason week two, my confidence is very high. So I'm just keep continue to get better each day. 
you get that taste, a little success in the return game, a little success, success in the receiving game. How hungry does it make you for this this trip down to Dallas now on Saturday? It makes me real hungry. Uh, yeah, I, I got to keep my feet on the gas. I can't let up. You know, uh, though I've been here, my teammates been telling me I've been doing some good things. So that just, you know, that just motivate me. I, you know, I'm humble at the same time, but. Like I said, I don't, I don't like to sit back. I just like to, you know, keep pushing forward, keep getting better, and you know, try and make try and make game two better than game one. So I just take one day at a time. Thanks to JoJo Natson for joining us here on Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Before we talk a little bit more about JoJo and his performance on Sunday, let's hear from head coach Chuck Pagano on JoJo. You know, JoJo's fearless, and he's a home run hitter. Our guys did a nice job blocking for him up front. We were an eyelash away mm-hmm. uh, from springing him on a couple. You know, we had to talk to him about, you know, I, I asked, you know, what planet he came from and what league he played in, because when he was down, he hopped right up and kept running. And all the officials <laughs> kept chasing him down the field, and everybody else was chasing him. So I said, we probably thought of put the play in. Maybe we'll get some free extra yards. But, I said, what'd you think? He said, I didn't hear a whistle. So I said, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, he's, uh, he's an explosive guy. Fearless is a word the coach used there, and I think it's a word that you're going to hear an awful lot about JoJo Natson. He is a smaller guy, but as you heard him say in the interview, he doesn't play that way. He's not concerned. He's not trying to avoid hits. He's not trying to find a way to not get, get hit square. You know, he's going to go out there. He's going to give 100%. He's got an uphill battle, and we're going to be honest here. The receiver position, even with all the injuries they've had, they've, they've been so beat up that there are four guys now on this roster at wide receiver who were not here when training camp started just a couple weeks ago. That The bottom of that roster has really been recycled through, but even with all of that and what they've dealt with, this is still one of the deeper positions on the team. We've seen Bug Howard flash throughout camp. We know Chester Rogers. He's really carved out a role for himself. Philip Dorsett's a first-round pick, and I think T.Y. Hilton and Dante Moncrief speak for themselves. JoJo Natson has to find a way to beat out Quan Bray, who's the returning kick return man and punt return guy, and to, to fit in as a wide receiver. And you heard Coach Pagano say he likes what he's seen so far. There is possibility here for him to keep moving forward. That being said, it is an uphill battle, but I think JoJo's one of the few guys who really gave the fans something to cheer about on Sunday. From an undrafted rookie to the number one pick in the draft, uh, we're going to hear from Malik Hooker on his first NFL game. Uh, for me, it was very exciting. I was smiling out there the whole day today just because, like I said, it's been seven months since I, I've been on the football field and playing with a team. So for me to come out there and play with this secondary, Darius Butler and Vontae Davis, and, you know, guys like that, for my first time stepping back on the field, you know, it was definitely you know exciting thing for myself. I think one of the things that strikes me most about that quote is – Malik talking about the smile that he had throughout the game because he still had that smile in the locker room after the game when we were talking to him. He's a guy who loves football. I think the biggest question right now with Malik is, is he getting enough reps? And that's going to be the big question as they get closer to the regular season. But I think TJ Green's move to corner kind of tells you something about how they feel, how comfortable they are with where Malik Hooker is right now. Because with TJ Green at the cornerback slot, you now basically have a safety situation where it's Darius Butler, it's Matthias Farley, and it's Malik Hooker. So I think they feel good about how he's coming along, and I think he gave a good look in his first game. He's a guy that'll be fun to see how he takes a step forward on Saturday. One thing I liked out of Malik on Sunday was he didn't look hesitant. You know, a lot of rookies will get in their first game under the lights, 
uh, in this case under the open roof. Um, but in a live game, those first couple reps, they'll be out there and you can tell their eyes are pretty wide open about how fast this game actually moves when you get into live action. Uh, but he never seemed hesitant. Our next snippet comes from quarterback Stephen Morris on scoring the game's only touchdown. I would have told you it was a great feeling if I didn't fumble the ball. Well, you know, I mean, the competitor and everybody wants to be the best that they could be. Sure. And, you know, that, that kind of just sticks out as a sore yeah. thumb. Um, you know, I got to take care of the ball, number one, and that's the most important thing. And obviously score points, move the chains, make great decisions, and be accurate. You know, I think that's what a quarterback really, his role is, as well as to lead the group. Yeah. You know, lead that huddle, whoever's on the field. You know, make sure everyone's clear and understanding of what they got to do. And um, it does feel good, though, yeah. to, to, to get a touchdown in there. And um, whatever the situation was, fourth quarter, first quarter, yeah. you know, my number was called. Let's go. Let's play. I think that was really good to hear from from Steven, the accountability. You know, he's a guy who could have been coming off the field and, and saying, look, I outplayed the other two quarterbacks, even though I got the least snaps in this game. I put the most points on the board. I had the best drive of the day, and he wasn't. You know, he was looking at how he can get better. He was talking about, first and foremost, the fumble that he had on his second series that was recovered, by the way, but it led to a punt. He also missed Marvin Bracey. On a fourth down that could have been a conversion, he threw the ball a little bit behind him when Bracey was open. So it wasn't a perfect game by any stretch for him, but he, by far, played the best of the quarterbacks. Now, he also played at the end of the game. He was playing against the weakest competition. We understand all those things. But I think that Stephen Morris is a guy who's trying to do all he can in this compete, compete, compete atmosphere to to make his name known. And I think one thing that really strikes you right now about Stephen Morris we have seen him play in five preseason games thus far, and he has led a touchdown drive every time. It's nice to see that kind of accountability in a younger player, but we also are seeing it from veteran players. Avante uh, Davis talked about how he likes to learn from his mistakes. I'm um, just getting better, you know, correcting your mistakes. You know, you want to, um, you know, try to make correction to mistakes and not make them over and over again. You know, that's how you improve. You got to make mistakes to improve as a corner. You know, I'd have made tons of mistakes. You know, the ones I don't, I never think about my good plays. I always remember the bad ones. That's how you learn. You learn from the bad plays. I think Vontae's quote, too, can go a long way for a lot of these younger guys that we've been talking about throughout the show because uh, Darius Butler had mentioned earlier in, in the camp. These guys, sometimes the best way for them to learn is to go out and get beat. That happened to Nate Harrison on Sunday. It happened to Quincy Wilson on Sunday. And they showed they can bounce back. They have that short memory you need as a cornerback. They can bounce back. They can make the next play a positive play. It's going to be interesting to watch how all of that continues to unfold as the preseason rolls on. All right, after we come back, George will answer all your Colts questions. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. This is the Pony Express, where George answers all your burning Colts questions submitted via Twitter or on our Facebook page. George, the first question comes from Eric Shibley. Uh, he says, in a recent PFF article for top-graded players for the Colts, they had Basham as the second-rated player. Did he have a sneaky good game? Yeah, you know, i got to be honest. I didn't notice him a lot, and I haven't been able to go back and watch much of the game so far. But I can tell you this. Coach Ventura is very high on him. He's a very physical guy. He's a power guy. He's not going to beat you with his speed, but he can definitely beat you with his bull rush. And I think he's a guy who's going to be strong against the run as well as the pass rush. But the Colts need to find a pass rusher somewhere. That's still one. It's still not one of. It's the biggest 
discrepancy for this defense right now. They've got to find somebody who can win one-on-one matchups, consistently put pressure on the opposing quarterback. Uh, Basham has yet to prove that he's that guy, but I think there's hope that he can come in third-down situations and get that done. Our next question concerns the number of players that are missing practice. Is this hurting the Colts, or is this just something that goes on in the NFL? It's both. Uh, you know, it is something that goes on in the NFL. I think you saw 11 Lions who didn't play on Sunday, and when they were here for the joint practices, there were about as many of their guys on the sideline in notepads as there were Colts out there. But there's no doubt that it's hurting the team right now, especially, as we mentioned earlier, guys like Malik Hooker, who has a dinged-up shoulder now and is out the last couple of days. Uh, here's a starter that they're hoping, you know, a rookie who missed the whole spring, who, who's now not getting some more live reps that he can use every rep that he can get. And it's not just him. You know, there's there's been injuries at inside linebacker. They just got Antonio Morrison and John Bostic back this week after they missed all of last week and missed Sunday's game. But as they get them back, Edwin Jackson and Sean Spence go out for a while. Uh, they're missing Eric Swope right now, the tight end, who they want to be the number two guy. He had a scope on his knee. He could be out for an extended period of time. They're, the wide receiver position, as we mentioned earlier, been turned over so much that they've signed four guys just since since camp started and these things certainly lead to the kind of sloppiness that you saw in that preseason opener but in the Chipagano era so far it it has bled over into the regular season as well the five years that Pagano has been the head coach their record in the first two weeks of the season is now two and eight and that includes zero and two the last three years so yeah it it takes its toll and it's something that they need to to try to find a way around I'll tell you this though They've changed conditioning coaches. They've changed training staffs. They've changed doctors. It keeps happening. Some of it's just playing bad luck. Some of it's the fact that it's football, but they've got to definitely find a way to deal with these injuries better. I think everybody gets these injuries. They don't seem to harm other teams as much as they often end up affecting the Colts. Our next question comes from Arabic Steve Jobs. Do they want to cut Tolzien as a backup QB and sign someone else? I'm thinking no. Yeah, no, uh, they don't. He struggled, and there's no doubt about that. But let's be realistic about what happened on Sunday. 11 snaps. That's all. That's all the time that he was out there. So, yeah, he missed Jack Doyle on a third down early when he should have gotten him uh, and, and was able to end a drive that, that maybe, you know, if you get that conversion, you keep going, and that's the kind of thing that can get you jump started. He struggled in camp. There's no doubt about it. But – Quite frankly, there isn't a whole lot out there. I know people are going to call for Colin Kaepernick, and certainly he could come in here and be better than than three quarterbacks that are on that roster right now. But this team is still holding out hope and the belief that Andrew Luck will be back pretty quickly. And they continue to profess faith in Scott Tolzien. So, you know, we'll see how long that lasts. We'll see if, if anything happens towards the end of training camp before the start of the season. But as of right now, no, they're not looking to, to cut Scott Tolzien or move on from him. They're looking to give him a little more support and help him to improve and, and get better and possibly be the starter on week one against the Rams. Our next question comes from Steve Cardenas, who wants to know what kind of start to the season gets Pagano fired in season. I think that all really may rest on when Andrew Luck comes back. Yeah, some of it definitely will because there's going to be some benefit of the doubt. Uh, you've seen the way the offense has struggled without him, and it continues to struggle like that. There's going to be some benefit of the doubt to wait and see when Andrew Luck comes back. I've talked about this before a little bit, too. I really don't think the record is going to be indicative one way or another of what happens with Chuck Pagano. It certainly matters to some extent. 
you know, I don't see any way that anyone would survive a four and twelve or five and eleven type of season here this year, no matter what happens with, with Andrew Luck and, and the rest of the offense. Ryan Kelly's out right now as well, which doesn't help the offense very much. Those two pretty key names uh, to be on the sideline, but I, I don't think it's so much record based as it is how they're getting there. And I think the, the things that you would be most concerned about from that first preseason game are the penalties. 11 penalties, that's something that just shouldn't happen. doesn't really matter who's out there on the field. And the sluggish starts that we've seen for five years now, those are the kind of things that are ultimately going to affect it. Whether that happens in season or not, I don't know. I do know this. Chris Ballard is very intent on evaluating every piece of this franchise, and this is very much an evaluation year. They want to win. They're going to try to do their best to, to have the best record they can, the deepest run they can. But this year is first and foremost about evaluation and setting the foundation for what they have going forward. And so part of that, I think, is going to be giving Chuck Pagano a good long shot. He's going to give him a, a real chance. I don't think this is going to be a quick trigger. So I think things would have to look really, really bad for him to be gone in season. Not saying it won't happen, but I think it's going to take a, a pretty big catastrophe for something like that to happen. In our final question today in the Pony Express mailbag, Comes from at Radio ZT. Who is the one guy that nobody is talking about that everyone in capital letters should be talking about? And you kind of mentioned him earlier in that for you, it's definitely JoJo Natson. Yes. And I, and I for think- me, hands down, it's JoJo. We have a tradition at training camp. Uh, the media members, we kind of pick a camp guy. Uh, that guy that's either an undrafted free agent um, or a free agent who comes in and is begging for a job and we think could make this roster. Right now, for me, it's JoJo Natson. Now, I have to admit that the first time I saw him on the field, I asked why they let a middle schooler out there. He is that small. But having seen him play, he excites me, and I want to see him on this roster. And hopefully he won't be the answer to this question after this podcast because we've been talking about him a lot today. So hopefully everyone's talking about him now after they listen to Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. But uh, my answer is probably going to be a guy who who was drafted very, very high a few years ago, Barkevius Mingo. I know he's also on your list. I thought Mingo made some plays on Sunday. He caught some people's eyes. Uh, There was one play where he literally just ran around the offensive line, tackled the running back for a loss. We all know he's got that speed. He hasn't been able to translate that to power, and he hasn't able to, been able to translate that yet to the regular season in the NFL. But he's always going to be an interesting guy because he's so twitchy, he's so athletic, he's so fast. And he's been, the last few weeks or so in, in practice and in that Sunday game, he's been flashing from time to time signs of that potential. So he's got some battles that he's going to have to fight to get on the field. There's no doubt about that. But I think he's definitely got a place on special teams. And he's showing, you know, trying to show as each week passes, maybe there's a place for him in the base defense as well. So for me, I would go with Barkevius Mingo for now. That's it for this week's edition of the Pony Express. George, why don't you tell the people how they can send you questions? Yeah, absolutely. You can always get in touch with me on my Twitter account. That's at GM Bremer. You can send us a message on our Facebook account, George M. Bremer. When we come back, we'll have that segment of the show where George throws some horseshoes out and throws some hand grenades to the best and worst of the week. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. We're back for our final segment, Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. George, I think the first horseshoe this week goes to Stephen Morris for leading that 
final drive. Yeah, absolutely. We talked about he got the only touchdown out there. He had, I think, 13 of 20 for 90, 94 yards, which doesn't exactly jump off the page, but it was certainly far ahead of the other quarterbacks. I think he's a guy who's earned a longer look. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, we haven't seen that so much in practice. He's been getting very few reps, but I'll tell you what, this this is how this kid's work ethic works. Every day after practice, every day, he's out there running through a full workout. Today he had a couple of receivers out there with him well after practice. 35, 40 minutes later, he's still out there throwing the ball. He's trying to get better. Admittedly, we need to get a look at him against higher-level competition, but it just seems like every time Stephen Morris has been put out there on the field in the preseason in the last couple of years, he's produced. He's moved the football. He's produced points. I think he deserves a longer look. I know that we've kind of been stumping for him here today, but I just I feel like this is a kid who's working his butt off, who's competing, and that's supposed to be the, the ethos of this team. I think Stephen Morris has earned a longer look. On the other hand, we've got a hand grenade for the rest of the offense. Yeah, the offense in general, and even really his first couple drives. I mean, let's not overplay the situation here. He had the great drive at the end, uh, but he himself mentioned about the fumble, and he had another drive that stalled on a fourth down. Uh, but the offense in general, we talked about it at the opening, 230 yards is not going to cut it in this league, especially when 90 of them come on the final drive of the game. They had three points until the, literally the last play of the game. You just That's not going to get you very far in the National Football League. And I understand Andrew Luck will be back. I understand that the Jim Irsay was very adamant that it's it's going to be earlier than some people are projecting. He's not going to start the season on pup. He's not going to miss the first six games. But they have got to show more than they've shown to this point. That offense put everybody behind the eight ball on Sunday and helped lead to the to the ugliness and the sloppiness of that game. And they've just got to clean it up. And they've been for pretty open and upfront about this. They know that it's not been good enough, and it has to get better. Another highlight maybe from the offense was the play of Tremaine Pope. Yeah, Tremaine Pope, undrafted guy out of Jacksonville State. Uh, really, much like JoJo Natson, you, you don't know. It was late in the game, but he had 31 yards on seven carries, was a leading rusher in this game. He scored the only touchdown. He's another guy who who earned you know a little bit deeper look. Now, he's also got an uphill battle. When you look at that running back position, we know Frank Gore's the starter. We know he's earned everything he's gotten in this league. He needs about 600 yards to go into the top five all time, and that tells you pretty much all you need to know about Frank Gore. Robert Turbin carved out a really nice role for himself as a short yardage running back. I think he's going to at least be in that role again. And the rookie Marlon Mack, who didn't get we didn't get to see on Sunday, he's probably got a role in this offense as well because he has that home run game-breaking ability. So where does Pope fit in? I don't know. But I know that he showed enough on Sunday that you want to see a longer look from him as well against Dallas on Saturday. So that's a horseshoe for the lone touchdown scorer of the game. But we're going to give a hand grenade to field position, which has a lot to do with there not being any other touchdowns. Yeah, you know, We talked a lot about the offensive struggles, and some of that was their own doing because sometimes the field position was affected by their penalties. I know there was one drive in particular where Phillip Walker had them marching and then they had like back-to-back penalties. You end up with third and 27 deep in your own territory. They just seemed like, and I know that this is not the case, but it just seemed like every time Detroit got the ball, they were starting somewhere around midfield. And every time the Colts got the ball, they were starting somewhere around their own 10-yard line. Again, that can't happen. There's a lot of things that play into that, chiefly the offense when they're doing three and outs 
on every possession and not giving that defense a chance to rest. Field position suffers. It absolutely did on Sunday. It's a battle they can't afford to lose. When you're already kind of fighting uphill because your quarterback's on the shelf, your starting center's on the shelf, you can't add more problems for that offense. And the field position game has got to get better. Our final horseshoe of the day goes to inside linebacker Jeremiah George. And I'm assuming it's not just because you like his last name. <laughs> it's not just because I like his last name. He's a guy who showed a lot of speed, a lot of power, was active on Sunday. He caught Coach Pagano's eye. Chuck Pagano mentioned him after the game. He's been around the league a little bit. I think he played in Tampa Bay before. He played with the Cowboys a little bit. But he's a young guy. He hasn't really established himself anywhere yet. Again, like a lot of the guys we've been talking about today, uphill battle, but that's an open competition still at inside linebacker. Maybe somebody, he's number 59 if you want to try to catch him on Saturday. Maybe somebody to keep your eye on, see if he can follow up a good performance with another good performance. All right, we're going to close out this week's show with the five things you're looking forward to on Saturday in the game against the Cowboys. And I think the first thing for you in particular is going to be going to Cowboy Stadium. I have never been there, which is something that obviously you can't say because you have been there. But you hear about Jerry World all the time and how it just assaults your senses. Uh, I'm really interested to see. We, we were really fortunate last year. Got to go to Lambeau Field. Got to go to Wembley Stadium in London. Got to see the beautiful new stadium in Minnesota. So I, I can't wait to see how Dallas fits in with, with those kinds of arenas. I was fortunate enough to get to go to Cowboys Stadium through USA Football and stand on the star and go into the locker rooms and uh, actually walk around the bowels of that stadium. And it's impressive how many levels there are actually below the field. Uh, there's an art museum in the end zones there. They can stack like four cars high uh, on platforms from their sponsors. It's just an impressive, impressive place um, unless you are standing on the field and you you think about the fact that if that scoreboard <laughs> fell down, <laughs> that there's no way it would miss you because there's nowhere to run because it's so big. Um, and that was one of the challenges uh, when we were playing our games there was the, they were being projected on the, the scoreboard and you ended up watching it and not what was <laughs> going on on the field. Uh, but it is a great place. Uh, and I think you'll really enjoy getting to experience that. No, um, no, no problem. They're distracting high school players with a giant screen. Yeah, at all yeah, year, exactly, sure. exactly. Well, the, I think the one of the funniest things was watching the kids watch their replays uh, after they had scored a touchdown or something. They'd all stop and and look up. Uh, <laughs> but so, what else are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, first and foremost, Marlon Mack. We talked about him a little bit earlier. He has shown flashes in training camp uh, of a smooth running ability. He's got really good change of direction. He looks as advertised from what they saw on the college tape. Here's a guy who could bring an element to this offense that just simply has not been here during the Andrew Luck era, and that's that big play home runner ability from the running back position. They really haven't had a guy who could break that big run, probably going back to Donald Brown. So it'll be interesting to see. This will be Mac's first time out uh, down there in Dallas. It'll be interesting to see how he performs. Now, obviously, the offensive line has struggled a little bit. But if this offense is going to get a jump start from somewhere, maybe Max the guy to help bring that along. I know one thing I think everybody's looking forward to is another longer look at the first team defense. Yeah, we mentioned earlier, very few snaps. They were in for two series. You really didn't get to see much from them, but they didn't do anything that really 
would throw a scare into you now. Hopefully they get to see closer to maybe a full quarter of action down there in Dallas. But as part of that, too, they're getting healthier as well. We've talked about some of the injuries on the offensive side throughout the day. Both the guys who are going to be starting linebackers for this team, John Bostic and Antonio Morrison, did not play on Sunday. So they're going to make their debuts for the season for Morrison and for the Colts, his Colts debut for uh, John Bostic. And I think that's going to be an interesting – just to see that unit together, all 11 guys together – as one it'll be fun to see how they perform and to get that longer look at them now obviously you got to wait till week three to really get a good chance to evaluate them but this should be a better look a better idea of where they are defensively you love linebackers you have said repeatedly that if you were putting together a team it would be 22 linebackers playing offense and defense uh, so I know you're looking forward to seeing the play from especially the in, inside linebackers. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting because that's probably the weakest spot on this team. It's not probably. It is the weakest spot on this team. They're, they're, they don't have any game changers at that spot right now. And so it's going to be interesting to see when you bring in the guys that they think are going to start who have had good camps, will it change things and how will it change things? The good news is if you're going to be weak on defense, inside linebacker is probably the best place to be weak because you can cover that. With a good front seven, you can cover that with a good back end. So that being said, you had guys out there last time, Edwin Jackson, Anthony Walker Jr., some guys who have experience, some guys who are young. You, we haven't gotten to see the defense as a whole yet, and that's what I'm most excited about with those two, seeing the unit together instead of with some missing pieces. And, and this will be the first time that, that you really could see that. Now, the flip side of that is who knows who they're going to be facing on Dallas' side. So we'll have to wait and see. I know another thing you're looking forward to is finally getting to see Jonathan Hankins take the field. Yeah, and that goes back to what we were just talking about with the defense as a whole. Jonathan Hankins got an ankle injury during the scrimmage, uh, well, the open practice at Warren Central, and so he missed most of the rest of the week of that practice, and then they held him out Sunday as a precaution. But if there is a game-changer on defense that they've added, it would be Jonathan Hankins. So to get him up front, to get that defensive line together as a unit with Henry Anderson and Al Woods, uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Again, I don't know how many downs these guys are going to get. You know, It still could be 12 to 15 plays, but hopefully it's close to – three or four series, close to maybe a full quarter of action and and get a little bit better idea of where they're at because it was such a quick, brief glimpse on Sunday that you really don't have a lot better idea of where they are now than, than where they started camp. And there are so many, as we mentioned before, there are so many young guys, so many new guys on this defense. It's really important to see that group work together as a unit and knock on wood. Right now they look healthy enough to let that happen on Saturday. And I think the final thing you're looking forward to may be of particular interest to fans of Indiana high school and college football. Yeah, it's actually a cowboy that we're kind of looking forward to. Jalen Smith is going to make his NFL debut, Jerry Jones announced earlier this week. And uh, he's obviously a superstar linebacker at Notre Dame, had a terrible, horrific injury in the, in the bowl, Fiesta Bowl, which nobody, you don't want to see anybody get hurt ever. But in that situation, a player that caliber, some people thought he could be the number one pick in the draft, and his knee gets destroyed on one play in a game that's essentially an exhibition game at that point. It was a terrible, terrible thing to see. He's worked really hard for more than a year to get back on the field. He's been practicing with the Cowboys. Finally going to get, again, who knows how long he's going to play, but he's finally going to get a chance to go out there and play in the game. He's a Fort Wayne native. He's a Notre Dame kid. I know he'll be wearing enemy colors 
uh, for Colts fans on Saturday. But it's going to be, I think, kind of a heartwarming moment and a really good story to see Jalen Smith finally get out there after all the work he's put in, finally get out there on an NFL field. You can definitely count me among the people who can't wait to see Jalen Smith back out on the field again. That's it for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast this week. Remember that you can find us on your local CNHI Sports Indiana website, or you can subscribe on iTunes or Twitter. If you subscribe, we ask that you go ahead and give us a star rating, hopefully five, so that we can know how we're doing. You can also reach George on Twitter at GM Brummer. You can send him questions throughout the weekend. He'll be a little lonely in Dallas, so I'm sure he won't mind. We'll be back next week to discuss the Cowboys game, that all-important game three, and any more mystery position switches. So until we talk to you again, remember the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Bill S. Preston Esquire. Be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.